This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible-reading, gun-toting, Air Force veteran, wife and mom, righteously American. Okay, welcome. Welcome to the show. Um, if you are listening to the PSAs, they are public service announcements, which means they rotate in and they're automatically downloaded from a service that we use because we don't have sponsors yet. So if you're wondering why we have one that is from the AARP, it's because it is in the rotation and I don't have paid staff to go in and pluck those out because people don't like the AARP, which I'm not a huge fan of them myself. So help me out. You know, a business that wants to advertise on a podcast that has fantastic numbers, send them my way, info at stacyontheright.com. And then I can put their commercial in place of that PSA. So just in case you're wondering about the PSAs. Um, so today on the show, I am, so first of all, I'm, I'm just going to, can we just be real here for a second? I'm going to drink out of my nobody is better at motherhood than you. All the other moms are a total disaster. Everyone agrees with me. Trump mug to celebrate Donald John Trump still being our president for just one more day. Uh, just, uh, just another day in America. Take a sip. So um, I'm feeling a little worn down. I feel a little worn down because yesterday I was just ticked and I was yelling and getting all worked up and I, there's a place for that. But I, today I'm, I'm worn down because it feels like there's just no low that the Democrats won't stoop to. Um, today, Adam Schiff actually made up stuff that he said, the president said, instead of going with the transcript of what the conversation was, he just sat there um, in the halls of Congress, and made stuff up. So um, we're going to cover a ton of different stuff today. I have some audio for you. One of our favorites, he's been on the program before, back when we were at the old place, um, Joe DeGeneva. He was on Tucker Carlson last night. He had some interesting things to say about impeachment, any illegalities that are being ascribed to the president, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll go over that. Um we will also talk about a couple of other news items. I wanted to get to um, the Trump administration scoring another safe, um, safe country agreement. And this is important for us because everything he can do to slow down the invasion at the border, we need it. The problem is the things that he's doing are contingent upon him being the president. So the safe country agreements will be torn up if he's not the president uh, at the end of this term. Uh, a lot of the things that are happening are going to be undone if the president is no longer in office. And so permanent change is what we need to protect American citizens, to protect foreigners who are being exploited and trafficked, to, to protect women and children and little boys from being exploited by the drug cartels, to slow down the gr- drug cartels' um, number one aim, which is shipping uh, illegal drugs into our country. We need to stop all of that. So we'll dig into that a little bit. And we will. um, So we'll talk about the safe country agreement with uh, Honduras. We will also discuss. In fact, we're going to start off with this. And this to me is important because as a mom, especially with two of our kids now living, you know, they're, they're living at college now. And so they decide like before it was, hey, mom, you know, is it okay if I head over to the movies tonight? I'm going to go see whatever. And even as 17, 18 and now 19 years old, I still have veto power. I can still say, I don't want you to go see that. And here's why. Um, And then kind of lob it back over to them and say, well, now do you still want to go see it? You know, um, I'm not exactly saying you can't, but I'm saying I don't want you to. Here's why. And then the kids respond back with what they think. And I'm often even able to convince them. There's been a couple movies where, you know, they're, they kind of, my husband and I didn't agree on whether or not the movies were of value, um, entertainment value wise. And, and so, you know, in a split decision, the last word goes to my husband. And so he 
you know, he was kind of like, eh, I don't really see a problem with it. And so I just expressed my opinion and we moved on. But there's one that I'm not so sure if I'm interested in the kids seeing. And there's a warning that comes along with it. And that's the Joker. So the United States Army is actually warning of potential mass shootings at Joker screenings. And you can find the link to this article at listen.stacyontheright.com. And this is from the U.S. Army. They're warning about a potential for mass shootings at upcoming Joker screenings. And this was an email that they widely distributed, noting their warning was a response to intelligence they received that incels may be planning attacks at this movie. Now, if you're wondering what incels are, I'm here for you to tell you what that is. Uh, Incels is short for involuntary celibates. These are young men who describe themselves as a subculture of society unable to find romance or sexual partners. Now, the unfortunate nature of this is that there have always been what used to be when I was a kid, we call them nerds. They were kids who were more interested in computers and indoor type stuff. They weren't um, they weren't beefy. They weren't totally manly. Um, they might have had, you know, maybe their testosterone hadn't quite hit yet for puberty. So their voices were kind of squeaky. They were a little short for their age. They were a little small for their age. They lacked muscle tone. Whatever the case may be, they, these were the boys who they could be friends with girls, but they were not boyfriend material for for girls who were dating. And now they call themselves involuntary celibates or incels for short. And they have as a part of this subculture that they're kind of defining for themselves a propensity for mass shootings and violence. Um, so instead of them kind of going deeper into their subculture or becoming like, you know, Microsoft protégés or something, which some of them do. Some of them do eventually end up getting these huge contracts with YouTube and gaming companies. But for the most part, these are just unhappy young men who now have actually been doing some chatter online and U.S. intelligence agencies have have found that they're they're actually planning to do some mass shootings. Um, The Army actually went so far as to explain the connection between the incels and the Joker. Incels, these involuntary celibates, idolize the Joker character, the violent clown from the Batman series, admiring his depiction as a man who must pretend to be happy, but eventually fights back against bullies. Now, I got to say, um, wow, this is where we are in America right now. This this is our thing Um, that we have a whole subculture of young men who idolize the bad guy. There's also an interesting part about the the movie itself in that, for the most part, the movies that Hollywood puts out about bad guys, there is a corresponding good guy. So the bad guy, even if he's the protagonist, which happens quite rarely, he has a corresponding good guy who balances the character out and eventually vanquishes him. That does not happen in this movie. Uh, And I'm not trying to spoil it for you. I don't plan to go see it. So um, I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who are like, don't say I haven't even read any of the reviews. I haven't read. I don't I I know diddly about it, except these few facts I'm sharing with you. So in the event of a mass shooting, the U.S. Army is actually advising um, the following steps. So let me go through those with you. And as a parent, this is the kind of thing that I would text to the group, the family group text. I'll send this. I'll post this there. And then I'm going to follow up with the kids who are living outside the home and make sure that they actually read the article and that they understand where I'm coming from and advising them really not to go see it. But um, this is their own choice. They're young adults. They're living outside the home. They're going to pay their own way to the movie. They're going to drive themselves to the movie. So if they decide to go see it, I want them to be situationally aware and to take into account the warnings that are being issued. So this is over at ready.gov. They have an active shooter page. Ready.gov slash active dash shooter is where you can find this. I'll, I'll throw it up in the show notes as well. Um, this page describes what to do if you find yourself in an active shooting event. The first thing they advise is to be informed. You can sign up for active shooter training. If you see something, say something to an authority right away. Keep telling an authority until they actually do something about it, because sometimes just telling an authority once won't do it. That's not here. That's straight from me to you. And be aware of your environment and any possible dangers, which means when you're going to the movies, especially if you're planning on seeing the Joker, you might want to put your phone in your purse or your pocket and actually observe your surroundings. See if there's anybody hanging out near any of the exits that aren't the main entrance point where the tickets are checked. 
check out and see if there's a police officer on duty. Maybe check and see um, if any of the employees look as if they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Because when you go back to the active shooter scenarios at these movie theaters, there's always a pattern. Someone lets someone in with a big, huge black duffel bag full of guns. Some employee of the movie theater is, or someone who's dressed as an employee of the movie theater, lets someone else in. So they're not coming in through the front door. We have to be aware. We have to be situationally aware. And so as someone, I'm just as guilty as you are of having my face on my phone when I'm at the movie theater waiting on the movie to start. Might behoove us to start, you know, check the exits, keep your eye on the exits, look around, make eye contact with a few of the people in the the actual theater with you. Just see who's in there with you. Just be situationally aware. The second thing recommended by ready.gov is make a plan. Make a plan with your family and ensure everyone knows what they would do if they're confronted with an active shooter. Look for the two nearest exits anywhere you go. Have an escape path in mind. Identify places that you can hide. Understand the plans for individuals with disabilities or other access and functional needs. And then I'll add something to that. Um, If you have a concealed carry permit, go ahead and get yourself into the range Squeeze off 250 rounds, make sure your gun is clean and serviceable, and that your carry plan is one that prevents printing and is the safest possible for you. And then carry, carry into that space so that you can protect yourself. During an active shooter situation, ready.gov recommends that you run an escape if possible as your first uh, response. Second, if escape is not possible, hide. Get out of the shooter's view and stay very quiet. Silence your electronic devices. Make sure they don't vibrate. Lock and block doors, close blinds, turn off lights. Don't hide in groups, spread out along walls, or hide separately to make it more difficult for the shooter. It goes on to some other things. I'm going to move on. Fight as an absolute last resort. And if you decide to fight, commit to your actions and act as aggressively as possible against the shooter. Remember, you're breaking up their OODA loop. They have planned out how the shooting is going to occur. In their mind, they have rehearsed it many, many times. They do not plan on being resisted. If they do plan on being resisted, they don't plan on it being aggressive, do or die type resistance. At the first sign of resistance, they usually shoot themselves or flee. So what you can do is... If you can't run and you can't hide and this is a do or die situation, you go at it with the absolute intent of making it out alive and you go after that shooter and let, don't do it alone. Grab some people. If you're sitting there and your choice is sit here and be shot or go after this shooter, what, what do you have to lose? Nothing. After the shooting. Um, oh, wait, they, they have a couple more things here at ready.gov. Recruit others to ambush the shooter. With makeshift weapons like chairs, fire extinguishers, scissors, books, or your firearm, your, your, your lawfully held and concealed firearm. They don't have that here. And then throw items or improvised weapons to distract and disarm the shooter. After, keep your hands visible and empty. Know that law enforcement's first task is to end the incident and they may have to pass injured along the way. Officers may be armed with rifles, shotguns, or handguns and may use pepper spray or tear gas to control the situation. Officers will shout commands and may push individuals to the ground for their safety. Follow law enforcement instructions and evacuate in the direction they come from unless otherwise instructed. Take care of yourself first, then you may be able to help the wounded as first responders arrive. If the injured are in immediate danger, help get them to safety. And while you wait for first responders, apply first aid. Apply direct pressure to wounded areas and use tourniquets if you have been trained to do so. Turn wounded people onto their sides if they are unconscious and keep them warm. Consider seeking professional help for you and your family to cope with the long-term effects of trauma. And then they have associated content. A number of actually pretty good links here. Run, hide, fight, active shooter information sheet, Department of Homeland Security, active shooter preparedness resources, which includes videos, brochures, and more individualized audience links. And Department of Homeland Security, active shooter preparedness resources that are translated into other languages. And conducting security assessments, a guide for schools and houses of worships, which is a webinar that you can watch with uh, people as you're trying to protect other locations besides yourself in public places. Now, I'm saying all of that to say that these are important things to know and be cognizant of and to go over with your family. Go over these items with your, your spouse and your kids and make sure that everyone's aware. Pray before you leave the house. Ask the Lord to protect you and exercise wisdom. 
being smart about where you go, there's an active warning out for this movie. Is it smart to go? I'll leave that in your own hands. I know for myself I won't be there. All right, when we get back, we're going to delve into impeachment and listen to some audio. Stay right there. I love my kids so much. I once sat for three hours in the cold rain to watch her soccer team lose by 18 goals. I love my kids so much. I once used a tube to suck snot out of her stuffed nose at 3 a.m. You win. Love your kids? Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat. From toddlers to tweens, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to find the right seat for their age and size. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. Cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Show the world that you're tougher than tough. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless. Dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Okay, forest animals, kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who... Had to be independent and take initiative. And that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Everybody, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, so I, I'm kind of I'm sitting here looking at all of the different stuff we have going on with the the political political conversation and how the Democrats have basically said, um, well, okay. And I'm just I'm guessing because we know what they're saying publicly, but I'm trying to figure out what is their. It, it, I've, I've seen so many strategies being discussed. Specifically, a lot of people have said, well, they're trying to take out Joe Biden. Now, I know that you it, you might be thinking, well, and, and or you might be thinking exactly. That's exactly what they're trying to do, because they no longer have superdelegates in the same numbers to be able to tip the scale towards their preferred nominee the way they did for Hillary Clinton. The debacle with Hillary Clinton uh, they had to change everything that they were doing at the DNC to make it more, quote, fingers fair to, uh, you know, regular voters. And so in doing that, they really took off uh, their stopgap measures, if you will. So I think if if 
there's anything that we can do um, is to try to understand the reasoning behind what they're doing. Now, I, I want to make a point, um, an additional point. Um, how can I say this? I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I don't want to blow off the opportunity for us to understand the strategy of the Democrats as crazy as that might sound. It's not just about Joe Biden. It's about taking calculated risks, right? So for the Democrats to say they're going to push forward with impeachment, they're basically saying that they don't expect to get anything that they would like, anything that would be helpful to them on their side for their constituents for the remainder of his presidency. Because there's no way the president steps forward and says, I'm going to work with you on gun control uh, or red flag laws or anything like that. And, and I know a lot of people said that was dead on arrival anyway, but the president was considering some of the proposals that were put forward by Democrats on, you know, guns. He really was looking at some of those proposals, so much so that the National Rifle Association and some other organizations were concerned about uh, about the president is he wavering is he you know what 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 have you that being said they're saying to us this is what we know to be true now that no matter what the president might have been considering no matter what constituents might want no matter what they've promised to voters their number one um goal the the thing that they're all working on now in unison as democrats is to hobble the president politi- the president politically and to take the American people down a path that they're not interested in going down. So if you're going down a path that the American people don't want you to go down and you don't have anything to to work from, a position to work from, a, a, a um, just just think of it as what you're selling. Like you don't have anything to utilize that you can sell to the American people to say, this is what you want or this is what you like. Um, and so this is what we're going to give you. Um, so if there's nothing to give, if there's nothing to share, if there's nothing that the Democrats feel like this impeachment proceeding could impede us from speaking to the American people and giving them what they want or showing the American people that we care about their concerns, then this is the road they're going down. And they have some Republicans in the House who are willing to help them go down that road. Meanwhile, over in the Senate, we have Republican turncoats who've joined in with the Democrats to say that the national emergency that the president declared is not real. There is no problem at the border and he shouldn't be able to use defense funds to do the border wall, which the Senate nor the House have actually given the president the funding he's requested. So in in all of that, you because that's a whole bag of crazy I just gave you. There's this kind of weird war brewing over at Fox News. And it's between the conservative hosts uh, and and news presenters over there, opinion hosts and news presenters, and Shep Smith and, and Judge Napolitano. So full disclosure, I met Judge Napolitano here in St. Louis at a Catholic event. It was a fundraiser for a kid's school, a, a kid's school, for an educational outfit that um, I think it's called the Day Tomorrow, Today, Tomorrow, Forever Fund. Um, it's it, they raise money for this Catholic school that takes kids out of poverty. What no matter what their ethnic background, they pluck them out of poverty, put them in the school. They partner with the parents and they change these kids' lives with a great education. And they bring the parents along. So if the parents are willing participants, awesome. But if the parents are kind of dragging their feet or they're not really into it. They actually get them plugged into it by engaging their kids and they work, they just worm their way into the family and they help these families. I mean, these kids have gone on to do amazing things. So we went to the fundraising dinner. We were invited uh, by a friend of ours who had a table and there was an, a little reception beforehand and, and I got to go to that. And another radio host that I know well was there who's good friends with Judge Napolitano. They're both Catholic and I met him and I got to take my picture with him. I'm a lot taller than he is, so it's not one that I shared on social media because I didn't feel like it was complimentary to the two of us. But um, he was a nice man. Now, mind you, this was four years ago, maybe three or four years ago when this event occurred in St. Louis. So now you know that I've met him. So I wanted to say that because this is a pretty savage spot here. It's Tucker Carlson, and he's interviewing Joe DeGeneva who's a former prosecutor, former special prosecutor. I mean, he's held all the the law enforcement jobs and he's an attorney. 
He has a lot of background in this area. And they're talking about this this mess, this garbage-filled dumpster fire that is what the Democrats are for- forcing on the American people. I want you to listen to this clip and then the next one, and then I guess we'll just talk a hair about what's going on over at Fox. I don't know what's going on there. I have no idea what's going on there, um, but just take a listen. Based on everything we saw, the actions on the part of Democrats yesterday, I have to very plainly ask you the question, has the president committed... I'm sorry, guys. I hit the wrong one. Um, I actually want cut to <laughs> Stacy, the producer. OK, here's here's the cut with uh, Joe DeGeneva. The president of the United States is the executive branch under Article two. He is the chief law enforcement officer of the United States. He can ask anyone, a citizen, a foreign leader, a question. He can make a suggestion about an investigation because he runs them. And by the way, in the latest set to with the whistleblower, the Office of Legal Counsel has said that requesting information from a foreign government is not a thing of value. It is not a foreign contribution. I I, I really, I must say this. I've been a U.S. attorney, an independent counsel, an investigative counsel on Capitol Hill in the House and the Senate. Judge Napolitano has never been a U.S. attorney. He's never been a federal prosecutor. He has never conducted a federal grand jury. I have done all of those things. I, If he wants to have an opinion, that's fine. I am not a paid Fox contributor. I am a guest of Fox Network. I come on when they ask me. So, And, and I am told, please, whatever you do, tell the truth. Don't make things yeah. up. Don't cover. So what I say, I believe, of course, as a matter of law, I know what I'm talking about in the law. I try to be Truthful. Right. I was very truthful last night. Woo! So if your ears are look like little smoke bombs have been let off and you're I'm, I'm over here in the same position you're in. Joe DeGeneva is actually a very nice man. When I have interviewed him, I think it's been on my show twice, actually. Um, when I've interviewed him, he has just been he's just super nice. OK, so if he can answer a question that you have, he doesn't down talk you. Well, I know you're not a lawyer. He doesn't. He he never does that. He does never come from a position of being like I'm an expert and you're not. You're just a dumb radio host, and here I am. He's not like that at all. In fact, he could really have a little bit more of a superiority thing than he does, but he chooses not to because he's a genuinely nice person. Also, the point that he makes there when he says he comes on and he gives his opinion, he's not paid to do so. I mean, that felt like a straight up smack across the face to Judge Knapp, but it is something important for him to uh, to point out. In other words, he doesn't have a viewpoint that he's paid to have. Um, and I think it's, you know, it it is something to kind of look at. And I don't like criticizing people when, you know, if the whole they didn't get that job, so that's why they have that attitude thing. That's not where I automatically go to. I I never say, well, that person has that perspective because they didn't get that job or what, you know. Now, if it turns out that that's the truth, okay, but I don't start off there. I have to get there with facts and evidence presented logically, chronologically. They ha- It has to make sense. Um, but it, it is true that Judge Napolitano wanted to uh, be considered for the Supreme Court vacancy and President Trump did not consider him because he was not on the Heritage Foundation list. And there were like two or three lists that were compiled together that became the Heritage Foundation list. And that list was, uh, you know, the judges that were vetted by conservative organizations that they they weren't just vetted for their um, their stare decisis, you know, uh, their positions on that or any of it wasn't just that. It was also their likelihood of making it through the process and the personal vetting that occurred. In other words, you know, the things that would come out about them, um, their, their everything, everything that you would consider for an applicant for a job interview, which is all of their personal stuff, plus all of their professional stuff, plus their positions and rulings that they've made. And it is instructive that um, Joe DeGeneva had those things to say. Now, I want to just go to this second portion of the audio from him from last night. Now, if you want to see this, you, the whole interview, you can go to listen.stacyontheright.com and listen to the whole mediaite. It's a it's a hateful lefty site, but they do have good audio clips there occasionally, and it's a good resource for me as a radio host. And they have the interview 
Um, they call it Fox News Civil War. Tucker Carlson repeatedly mocks daytime host Shepard Smith in jaw-dropping segment. Um, he does... It's very, very ginger. It's not full on mocking, first of all. And second of all, he's calling him out because he had someone on his show who debunked Judge Knapp and Shep made it personal. Um, and that's that's Shep's business, you know, whatever. But I want to listen to this last bit. And then I guess just it's to take with a grain of salt. And I wonder what happens because Shep, I think, is the one who's been on there the longest out of all the hosts now that they've had so many shakeups over the past four years. Um, but he's also one of the most well-hated hosts on Fox. I mean, his his hate mail is legendary, and it's all over the Internet, people posting how much they hate Shep Smith and how he doesn't belong on Fox. So maybe that's why he's so sensitive about everything that he says on the show. But uh, let's check out DeGeneva kind of wrapping up where he's coming from on this. Our I, I, our Tucker, I, could, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's why when I come on Fox, I say what I believe and what I know. Right. I never make things up. I never try to cover up for people. I, I am I am blatantly obvious about the fact that I support the president of the United States. Right. I, be, I believe he has been framed. I believe he is an innocent man. I will defend him to the death. And, uh, you know, Judge Napolitano just doesn't like the president of the United States. That's fine. That's He's right. entitled to that. He's entitled to feel that way. He's a disappointed office seeker. He didn't get the seat on the Supreme Court that he desperately wanted, and he's been mad about it ever since. And he showed it yesterday, and he showed it so many times over the last year. It's pretty embarrassing, actually, for me. Yeah. But So I will say that if you recall, when the president first was elected, Judge Napolitano was not against him. He wasn't an open, never-Trumper. He did shift his perspective. And some people at first said, hey, it's probably because um, you know, it's it's probably because Fox News executives want someone on the air to present that perspective. But I seriously doubt if they would say you need to change your perspective in order to suit this narrative. If Fox News executives want someone to present a perspective on the program, they need only call an, any array of pundits who might be appearing on other networks or who never have. And I, I can tell you as someone I think I've only said no to Fox Business one time, and that was just because I physically could not be where there was a studio to do. So in other words, you don't turn down Fox. The eyeballs are too plentiful. It's just too good and juicy of an opportunity to say no. So they could find anyone they wanted to present any perspective they want. If they want a libertarian or a communist or whatever perspective they're looking for, they can find someone who's willing to come on and present that view. So I don't think they're forcing Judge Knapp to have these viewpoints. Um, I think it's unfortunate because it really is a bummer to see someone who I, I, I so respected Judge Knapp before because he seemed to be middle of the road and even keel. I don't believe I ever heard him as a full-throated Trump supporter, but I thought he was an interesting, um, you know, legal analysis. He would present legal analysis and he, he had an analytical viewpoint that was valuable and I, I enjoyed hearing it but now he just seems to he starts off analyzing and he ends up never trumping and it seems to be a, a continual thing with him and he's welcome to be a never trumper it's just unfortunate because it makes it impossible for people to see his viewpoints from a like he's being neutral and analytical it's always up he's just going to come on and talk about how much he doesn't like trump or trump has committed a crime or trump is blah 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 um so uh, at the risk of, well, look, we got a minute and 12 seconds left. So <laughs> I love my um, computer that tells me what how much time I have left. It's like so exact. And it's like, it's almost like an artificial intelligence. It knows so much cool stuff. Um, so I want to now just pivot over to, we're talking about the safe country agreement with Honduras. Um, the president actually has secured this agreement and I, I'm I'm excited about it because it means that more people who will never ever receive asylum here can be told that closer to their home country so they don't have to make the horrible trek up here. So this safe third country agreement is with uh, the nation of Honduras and it enhances the Central American nation's asylum capacity. The agreement was signed on Wednesday and is similar to agreements previously reached with the governments of El Salvador and Guatemala. And DHS official uh, actually reported this to reporters on a phone call. 
The official said migrants who had an opportunity to seek protection in Honduras, El Salvador, or Guatemala would be returned from the U.S. border to seek asylum or protection in one of those countries under the recent agreements, including the new Honduras Accord. So, in other words, you need to be an actual refugee from a country adjacent to ours in order to claim that status. Words have meaning, y'all. I love it. All right, we'll be back with more after this. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Um, I wanted to share. I saw someone said they missed me over at AFR on one of the streams. And um, I wanted to say that. So I was at Bible study and one of the things that we were talking about is who we are in Christ and our perspective on, you know, it's how you see yourself. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, he has actually wiped out your sin debt. And even though we as human beings continue to sin, we are not sinners saved by grace. We are a royal priesthood clothed in white. We are saved. We're already um, we're saints. We're not, we're not sinners anymore. We're saints. So when we do sin, we repent and turn away from the sin and we seek to break the stronghold. If it's a stronghold or we just, you know, you repent and you move on, you turn away from it. And so this perspective can make a huge difference in how you approach God after you've sinned. Um, cause he remains the same and he always sees us in the same way, which is that he sees us as saints, 
But when we sin, we feel the the conviction, the guilt, and we want to turn away from him or stop communicating with him, what what have you. And so the example that was given in Bible study was that the lady who was speaking, she's a pastor's wife, and they've planted churches in uh, foreign countries before. And at, at the very beginning, when they first planted a church, and the church had been up and running for a year, and it split. It split into two groups, and it was a very contentious heartbreaking split to see the church split apart. And then within a year, the church split again. And so another very heartbreaking thing. And so she was with some of the other believers, women that she would pray with. And she started off by saying, I'm always late. I'm, I'm a mess. I'm a disaster. And one of the sisters took her by the shoulder, just said, Hey, wait, stop. Stop saying you're a disaster. You're not a disaster. You're a child of the king. And even as you struggle with time management or what have you, you are still a saint. You're not a disaster. Stop confessing that over yourself. And she said, afterwards, she prayed and the Lord showed her how she was behaving. She she kind of behaves like a chicken. And this is the analogy she used, not me. This is this. Is, I'm recounting this exactly from the video that we were watching. She says, I'm living as a chicken. And what do chickens do? Well, they're timid, they're easily frightened, and they stay on the ground. They're land bound. They cannot fly. Eagles, on the other hand, not only soar high, high above any place that humans can get to with, without you know machinery, but an eagle can literally throw itself to the ground. They dive from you know 10,000 feet up and dive down and catch prey in their mouth or in their feet and then in their talons, and then they go back up. So if you take a chicken at 10,000 feet and dive it down to the ground, it's going to die. But an eagle does this with little, it's, it's not a big deal. It's, it takes effort, but it's not something that the eagle is like, oh, I'm going to do the one dive of my lifetime. No, they're doing this every day. And so the comparison that she made was that in Christ, we're eagles. And so a fall from any height for a Christian, and she was speaking specifically of the church that her husband, that she and her husband planted, and it split apart. And she considered that to be an, an amazing fall for her, that she's falling from this high, high height, she and her husband. But as eagles, they know they can recover from that. <clears throat> in Christ, of course, they can recover, pardon me. So I took that, speaking of the old place, um, to be in the same place for me, to be the, an analogy that's appropriate for me. Um, where else could I, could I go, um, from AFR? Honestly, I was at the pinnacle of where I could be as a radio host with that many, um, you know, that many affiliates and on the largest Christian radio network in the country. Also the only black Christian conservative network in the country, urban family talk. Um, and to have all of that summarily removed without so much as a, you know, here's two weeks to get used to this. It was, you're done. Today was your last show. That whole thing, it feels like someone took me up in a plane and I was flying along at 30,000 square feet and enjoying the clouds and the beauty of, of where I was. And they just said, hey, this is your drop-off point and strapped a parachute to my back and pushed me out without even one of those masks to help you get through because you can't breathe at that height outside of the plane. That's what it feels like. And the odd thing about it is that it still feels like that. It has been how long? I Sometimes I go on my um, my fireside where the podcast is hosted and I go to my, my little metrics page and I look at how many people have listened to the podcast from the like the first, it was like a day in July uh, or a day in June and then the, the whole month of July and then this month where the numbers are down because I took a week off because I was literally burning myself at both ends of the candle. Um, but they're not down on a daily basis. They're just down for the entire month because there's a week missing of podcasts. And so I look at that and I try to take consolation in the fact that I have the audience and that people are still listening. But the fact is, it's not the same size audience as it was when I was there. And I still don't have the satisfaction of saying, this is why this happened, because I don't understand why it happened. But I have to rest in the fact that God has a plan for my life. He has something for me to do. I, I honestly, I felt like at that moment when I launched this podcast to continue the program, I thought I knew where I was going, but now I feel even less directed than I ever have. I actually don't know what is going to happen next. I talked a little bit uh, a couple of days ago about 
signing the contract to be one of the fill-in hosts with SiriusXM. I'm excited about that opportunity. I still have chances to fill in for my friends who have programs and, you know, there's, there's still, there's still that. But along with all of that, it's still the, it's just an utterly barren place to be. No contact whatsoever um, with any of the hosts from AFR. Not, you know, my producer sent me a nice card on AFR stationery saying he'd miss working with me and sent me all of my shows on a, on a um, memory stick, but it's just, it's kind of brutal. It really is. So what am I doing about it? Well, sitting here talking to you, still doing a show, still putting the content out there and hoping that something good is going to come out of this. I trust God. I know that he has a plan, but I hope if you're listening to this and you're in a similar situation where you have a work situation or maybe it's a family situation or relationship, what have you, and you've literally been forced out of the plane at 32,000 feet with nothing but a parachute and, you know, uh, see you later. Um, Just keep going. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. On Sunday, the pastor said that God can't direct a car that's engine isn't running and it's not moving. In other words, in order to, to take direction, you need to be moving. And that's why I'm continuing to do the show partially because of that, partially because I mean, what else am I going to do? Sit home and shop all day? No, I don't think so. And also because people out there are expecting me to put a program out there and put my perspective out there. And that's why I'm doing this because there's an audience there still. It's not 189 affiliates strong, but we'll get someplace. Not sure where, but we'll get there. Um, so that being said, back to this content here, the office of the press secretary has actually sent out, um, a summary. It's like, basically I get these all day, every day from the white house. This one is important because it's by the acting director of us immigration and customs enforcement. His name is Matthew Albans and they were in the James S. Brady press briefing room. This was at 1101 AM Eastern daylight time. And he presented, um, information, uh, uh, on a lot of different things. He started off by thanking and recognizing dedicated law enforcement officials. I'm not going to give you all of those. It's a, it's a really lengthy list. He's coming out today to present this information from the white house to help the public understand the human cost of sanctuary laws and policies, banning and preventing local law enforcement from working with immigration and customs enforcement. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because what the Democrats want is to distract Americans away from news like this. They don't want you to hear that the acting director of, let me make sure I get this right, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, they don't want you to hear from him. They don't want you to understand what's going on at the border. They don't want you to connect voting for President Trump with uh, keeping the border secure or at least attempting to keep it secure. Because it's, let's, let's face it, it's not secure, right? It's not secure. So, Sheriff Jim Skinner from Collin County, Texas, Sheriff Wayne Ivey from Brevard County, Florida, um, a, a bunch of different people. He's thanking um, Mike Davis, Deputy Principal, Legal Advisor for ICE. He's the highest ranking career official within ICE, also a legal advisor, one of the most critical enforcement arms within ICE. And Chris Cronin, who's the Assistant Director for Enforcement within Enforcement and Removal Operations. Now, there were others he listed off, but those were some important people who were there with him to basically stand with him on this presentation. So sanctuary cities make everyone less safe because remember, you may not live in a sanctuary city or a sanctuary county or a sanctuary state, but if you travel to that state, you are less safe than you would be if they did not have their sanctuary city designation because it's a beacon for criminals. It says, come here, we'll protect you criminals. Come here. We have people for you to rape, rob and pillage. Don't worry about enforcement. We'll take care of it. Um, and people are being hurt and victimized every day because of jurisdictions that refuse to cooperate with ICE. As law enforcement professionals, it's frustrating to see senseless acts of violence and other criminal activity happen in our communities, knowing full well that ICE could have prevented them with just a little cooperation. This is what ICE is looking for. And this is according to the acting director of ICE. They want to have their official immigration form, which is a detainer, honored by law enforcement partners. They're not asking law enforcement partners to go out and arrest or detain people for them. They're saying if someone has already been arrested for an unrelated criminal violation and are in custody with any agency that's in law enforcement, all they ask is that if there is a detainer present, 
that they keep that person until ICE can come and get them. It's that simple. So they're not going into communities and doing the work of ICE. They're not arresting people. They're not pulling people over or stopping people because they suspect that they're in the country illegally. It is anyone who has already been detained for breaking the law potentially and is in custody if that person's name and identifying information matches up with what Immigrations and Customs Enforcement has described in their detainer that that person would be held and that ICE would be notified so they can come and get that person because they are subject to removal proceedings. That's it. So when you hear someone at your workplace saying, ICE wants to deputize the sheriff in our county and turn him into a you know Customs and Border Patrol officer, not so. Not so at all. In fact, the reason they don't want regular law enforcement doing that work is because they know that law enforcement already has more than enough to do in their communities and they don't they don't need the help. Yes, we could use more ICE officers. We can use more staff. We could use more money, but it doesn't help them to have regular law enforcement doing their job. They only want the agencies to honor the detainers that are sent out from ICE. 70% of the arrests ICE make are at local jails and state prisons across the country. But we used to make more. We used to get more criminals off the street before sanctuary laws and policies prevented us from doing so. Leaving us with no choice but to expend significant digital resources to locate and arrest criminal aliens and other immigration violators out in the community. How can I sum that up for you? They used to get the people from the jails and deport the 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 take them to ICE facilities where they would then be subject to deportation. Now they have to go out into the community and knock on doors. Now they have to monitor social media and go out and stop people who are driving, stop them in their houses of worship, stop them. You you see what I'm saying? So it's much more dangerous for them as officers because they're out in the community in among a group, a population that is opposed to the work that they do. It's like when we send law enforcement into uh, you know, they do no knock raids. They go in and they're they're busting up a, a drug house. That's a dangerous situation for an officer. They're in an area that is owned and run by criminals and they're going in to do their work. That's why they go in covered from head to toe in armor and everything else. They go in with those big heavy vehicles and they take the biggest tactical weapons they've got. So the question for all of us is how can we as lawful citizens permit Any person who is elected by us and answerable to us as citizens and voters and taxpayers to have sanctuary city designations, which endanger the lives of people who are paid by us as taxpayers to protect and enforce laws that we have on the books because we as citizens have permitted those laws to be passed. And that is the question that we each have to ask ourselves. We also have to say for every one of these sanctuary city designations where there have been rapes and murders and MS-13 have chopped off heads and cut the hearts out of people, where people have been kidnapped, where girls have been sexually trafficked, how much of that are we responsible for if we allow our elected officials to designate places where we live as sanctuary cities? And I will add as a Christian, because we, we shouldn't fear the judgment seat as Christians. But we must know that it's there. We must understand that we will one day be there. Think it through. All right. Have a great night, everybody. God bless. Righteously American. See you tomorrow.